Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to the 113th episode of Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. Daniel's a bit under the weather, so a, you might be able to hear it in his voice. A bit. I'm getting over it. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to work, and uh, I hear that's the best thing to do if you're not feeling well, and to get over it quickly is just go to work every day. It is. Mm-hmm. All right, Daniel, we got some Patreon shout-outs. We'd really like to appreciate, we'd like to thank Grace. Thank you, Grace, Cheyenne, that's a cool name. Thanks, Cheyenne, and Megan H. Thank you guys so much for supporting our humble podcast and putting up with us and my sick voice. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much for your support. For those of you that don't know, we do have a Patreon, and it helps to support our dysfunctional podcast. And you get four or more bonus episodes every month. And it is $6. Yeah. That's it. That's all. So if you'd like to help us out, that would be great. I don't think you can get a streaming service. No, you can. Streaming service. Cancel streaming service and uh, (laughs) subscribe to us. (laughs) No, we have a lot of fun over there. We're really trying to make a community. And we talk about our family more over there and kind of let you in our lives just a little bit more. It's just really been helpful and we just really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. You got some factoids for me, buddy? It's really cold out. Not here. (laughs) Is it? But it is cold somewhere. (laughs) All I see are these horrible accidents on interstates and stuff across the country right now. And that's terrible. All over social media, people are posting how cold it is where they're living. And some people, it's like negative 13, but it feels like it's negative 45. I don't even know what that means. That's not even a number. You can't have negative numbers. No, it gets down to like 52 here and I'm bundled up in a jacket and a scarf. I don't know how you guys are doing it. I hope you are staying safe. I hope you are staying warm. Yeah, we're talking about daytime temperatures, not middle of the night when you're asleep. Those are even colder out there. Ugh, the cold is not my friend. It gets hot here though. So it's not all roses and sunshine. No, it's it's not. Although roses love it here and there's a lot of sunshine. So I guess it is roses (laughs) and sunshine. Top 10 worst or whatever you want. Say coldest. Obviously, number one, Alaska. Okay. Is the coldest place to live? The average temperature for the whole year is 28. Nope. Now, most of Alaska is uninhabited, so that doesn't really count. It's not fair. It's the largest state, but it's very, very unpopulated. Okay. Fairbanks, Alaska, which is, you know, pretty, everyone knows where that is, more or less. It is one of kind of the hottest and coldest temperatures in the state. So in the wintertime, so probably like right now, it can get in the high or in the wintertime, it can get as low as negative 50. Oh my gosh. That's nice. And during the summertime, it can get to be 90. Okay. So that's quite a swing. 
That really is. Yeah. So if you're a swinger, go to Fairbanks, Alaska, because that's where <laughs> everything swings a lot. Number two, North Dakota. Fargo. Mm-hmm. Fargo. Second coldest average temperature for the year is 41. And mm-hmm. those of you listening, if we have anyone listening from North Dakota. We do. Um, you're probably going to say I'm completely wrong, but I got this off of the Google box, so. Check it up with them. Average temperature in the winter is 24 degrees. So that's nice. You can do a lot of activities, you know, like. Can you? Going outside. No. No. (laughs) Going for a hike. Snowmobiling. Don't do that. Cross-country skiing. Ice skating on all the ice. Mm. It says January is the coldest. Temperatures range from 2 in the north and 17 in the south. Mm-hmm. Those are the, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. Two. Minnesota. Is number three. Number three. Third coldest. January is obviously coldest. Can get to a balmy negative 30, in, which is lovely. Dip your toe into a negative 30. Average temperature overall in Minnesota is 41 plus-ish. 41.8. Wow. I was kind of surprised at this one because it moves far away t- from it. It's Maine. Oh. And everyone forgets about Maine because it's just kind of out there. It's just kind of sitting there. It's just the tip. (laughs) It's very much just up there, the tip. It's basically Canada. I mean, it's it's way up there. 41.9 is the average temperature for the year. For the whole year. Yeah, because you're averaging the highs and the lows. So you're wearing a jacket almost the whole year. Well, you should always have a jacket is what they're saying. (laughs) Average low temperature, 12. They get a lot of snow. That's lovely. Caribou. What is a caribou? It's like a a reindeer. Oh, I thought it was a car. (laughs) I'm joking. I know what a caribou is. (laughs) Yeah, so that's not good. Wyoming. I didn't know Wyoming was that cold. I guess it is. Fifth coldest. Average temperature, 42-ish. Average minimum temperature in the winter range from 0 to 15. It's nice. You know, think of all the money you're saving on refrigeration during the wintertime. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to hear your fridge running. It just sits there. Just sticking everything outside. In fact, just leave it. Yeah, just open it and put it outside and you're good to go. Just leave your groceries in the car. You would have to warm up the stuff that's frozen outside to bring it to a temperature that would be in your fridge ice chest area. Oh, the other fun thing about Wyoming is uh, winds are typically in the range from 30 to 40 miles an hour with gusts of 50 to 60. Isn't that hurricane winds? Uh, no, that's oh. uh, I believe that's 75 miles an hour, something oh, okay. like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's such an idiot. Yeah, but uh, when it's cold out and snowing, you want 50 mile an hour gusts. Oh. That's, that's important. Number six, and I'll finish with this because you don't want to hear me talking anymore. Montana. <laughs> oh, Okay. I've only been there in the summer. Average temperature of 42-ish. Coldest month, obviously, January. Zero. <laughs> Coldest temperature ever recorded in Montana was negative 70. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> That's nice. 1954. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I have a I question. Quit. Yeah, I'm not leaving. I, that's <laughs> insane. Forget it. You guys are out of your bloody minds. Anybody who lives in these states or any cold states, can you get things delivered to your house? 
like grocery delivery or Walmart delivery or DoorDash or any of those services, do they come to your house and deliver things if it's negative 12 outside? Does Amazon still have free delivery to your frozen tundra <laughs> abode? <laughs> How do they get there? I don't There's know. There's no way. You can't drive a... Uh, Amazon. You can't drive a delivery truck down a long frozen driveway. What if you're snowed in and you need things? Can you order them and they will be delivered to your front door for a tip of $5? No, okay, may, so if you the have tip. the may, if you have the answer to that question, please let us know. That, that would be awesome. That's an awesome question. I wonder. All right. Well, thanks for your factoids. You're welcome. Do you want to move? No. I want to move to the south. Because it's not hot enough <laughs> here. You want to move somewhere where it's hot and humid, not just hot. I like the south. I yeah. do. You I want to be in the middle of the country so that we could just travel all over. That's where I want to be. We miss not having creatures and insects <laughs> that will kill you because they're so large. Um, we are kind of spoiled in California. Like, where's the dog? Oh. Must have been an alligator. <laughs> it's a gator. It's gone. All right. Well, thanks, Daniel. You're welcome. Bundle up out there. Yes, Holy please. Crap. Daniel. Yes. <laughs> Are you ready for my case? I am ready. Do it. This is the case of Bobby and Vicky Lozano. Oh, awesome. I love lasagna. <laughs> This case was recommended to me by one of our 11 listeners Sweet. named Ashley Cooper. Thank, Thank you, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. 99% of my information was sourced from the book called Lady Killer by Donna Fielder. There's more to this title, but if I read it to you, the case won't be a surprise. So Okay, yeah, then don't. I can't read the rest of the title. I'm so sorry. But here we go. On July 6, 2002, a frantic call came into the Denton County 911 around 9.05 p.m. On the other end of the line was police detective Bobby Lozano. He proceeded to tell the operator that he needed an ambulance to his home on La Mancha Lane in the elite subdivision of Montecito del Sur in Denton, Texas. Nice. His wife, 36-year-old Vicky Lozano, quote-unquote, has a gunshot. That's uh, what he told the operator. Ah, uh, she has a gunshot. Has a gunshot. Is she breathing? Asked the dispatcher. I don't know. No, hurry, Bobby said. Bobby was then asked to go check on his wife to see if she was breathing. He stepped away from the phone and within a few seconds was back on the line. He told the dispatcher that no, Vicky was not breathing. Bobby said that he had come home and found Vicky slumped over in the master bed with a 9mm Glock service pistol lying beside her. Bobby was then asked to perform CPR. He said he would and set down the phone. 25 seconds later, he was back on the line asking where the ambulance was. Within four minutes of Bobby's call, the ambulance and fire engine were at the scene. 
having been told that they were heading to a gunshot victim who was not conscious or breathing, but that CPR was in progress. But standing out front of the large estate when they pulled up was Bobby holding his and Vicky's 11-month-old son. Oh, boy. So can you picture this? Yep. So the dispatcher is asking Bobby to please perform CPR. And he's saying he's doing it, and he's doing it for a limited amount of time. The operator relays that to the ambulance who's yeah, on the, the way. the responding ambulance and such. Right, and he, she's saying, I have a police officer whose wife has been shot, and he's performing CPR on her. Correct. And then the ambulance and the fire truck arrive, and they see Bobby standing out front. Right. Holding the baby. Okay, so you've taken CPR classes, right? Yes. And I have numerous times. What are you supposed to do once you start performing CPR? You don't stop until someone else takes over. You don't stop until either paramedics arrive or someone else takes over or you're too exhausted to continue. Yes. It's never changed. No. So he's not very good at CPR. Now I get he's an 11-month-old, but the 11-month-old should be fine. So, yeah, and we'll get yeah. into that. Anyway, But I just wanted to kind of paint the scene for you. I'm just saying that he failed his CPR class. He did. Yeah. One of the paramedics shouted to Bobby, where are they? Bobby pointed to the north wing of the house where the Lozano's bedroom suite took up its entirety. When the paramedics made their way into the bedroom, they were surprised to see that the victim was alone. There was no one performing CPR on Vicky. That's why they had said, where are they? When the paramedic yeah, pulled like, up. Where's the person performing CPR and the victim receiving it? Exactly. Yeah. Because they just assumed that somebody was in there giving the victim CPR. Because, yeah, anyone that knows that's what you're supposed to do. Vicky was found lying on the right side of a king-sized bed with her right leg dangling off the side, almost touching the floor while the left leg was covered by a very expensive coverlet. And a large bloodstain could be seen under her left side. Vicky's blonde hair was draped around her shoulders, her eyes were half-closed, and she was wearing blue pajamas with little yellow ducks all over them. But now, there was a large, perforated, and bloody bullet hole in the very center of Vicky's chest. Immediately, the paramedics noticed that on Vicky's exposed leg, they could see that lividity had already set in. The lividity had already creeped halfway up her calf. Lividity is when blood starts pooling in the body after the heart has stopped, and gravity causes the blood to gather in the lowest parts of the body, and it took a certain amount of time for this to happen, which means she had been in that position for a while. Yeah, and he wasn't performing CPR, so he wasn't pumping blood by compressing her heart. Yes. Yep. Vicky did not have a pulse, and she was cold to the touch. To the paramedics, Vicky had been dead a long time, and CPR was never performed. No. And Bobby should have known how to give proper CPR. Vicky needed to be moved to a hard surface which yep. is usually the floor, yep. and her body was never moved. One of the paramedics gently lifted Vicky up with her shoulders and pulled her pajama top to the side, 
and noticed that lividity had already started on her back as well. Wow. And there was zero signs of life, obviously, so Vicky Lozano was pronounced dead. So she had been like that for quite some time before he even called. Yes. Yeah. It could have been up to a few hours. Yeah, because if it's only four minutes, four to five minutes response. Um, Since he said that he found her. Yeah. But we'll get into his okay. alibi. The paramedics left the scene and the police and investigators took over. Vicky's left arm was flung out to the side and her left hand was near the pistol that was lying on top of a piece of newspaper, along with a small beige towel. Near the newspaper was a brown box that appeared to be a gun cleaning kit, a can of break-free gun oil on its side, and a pair of dirty white socks were lying near the box. There was a large oil stain on the newspaper, and the pistol looked as if it had been sprayed down with oil from the barrel to the handle, which was odd because Bobby was in law enforcement and would know that you only need a couple drops of gun oil on the metal workings inside the Glock. Yeah, it doesn't need to be doused. No, you don't need to smother a gun with gun oil, which is what this gun appeared to look like. So it was very oily. Yes, even just them standing across the room, they could see how oily this gun was. Right, right. Within minutes, family members began showing up to the home. While they cried in disbelief, Bobby paced the floor, and he did tell certain people who asked that he had been away from the house for only 30 minutes. Bobby had gone to a tanning salon, (laughs) having left his gun unloaded and ready to clean when he returned. The couple had planned to take the young son to the shooting range the next day. But when Bobby returned home, after getting his tan, he found his wife of 16 years dead or with a gunshot wound to her chest. So I heard you just say they were going to take their 11-month-old to the shooting range? That's what he was telling people. What is an 11-month-old going to get out of that? Not much. Besides noisy noise in its ears. That's a weird thing to take an infant to. Seemed a little odd. Yeah. I mean, I don't care what kind of a gun enthusiast you are. It's not going to help an 11-month-old. No. Bobby was telling family members that he believed that Vicky had been trying to clean the unloaded gun and it had accidentally discharged. Into her chest. Into her chest. Uh Sure. To investigators, Bobby's story didn't make much sense. No. If he had come home and found Vicky dead and bloody, and performing CPR on her, then why didn't Bobby have any blood on him? He was perfectly clean. He looked as if he was on his way to a photo shoot. Well, he's got the tan and all that. He was perfectly quaffed. Yeah. But they're saying if he had performed CPR on her, there would be Vicky's blood all over him because she got shot straight in the chest. So he would be pushing on her chest, which they believe blood would have sprayed out of her wound. Oh, yeah. And he would have at least gotten it on his hands. Yep. And he wouldn't have been able to wash his hands because he had only been at home less than five minutes. Do you know how exhausting it is to actually give chest compressions to a person for any length of time? Well, no, I've only given it 
on a dummy and so, my dummy would have died. Yeah. And the dummies, the practice ones, like the CPR dummies, they're real easy to compress, but they said it's way harder. But even doing that, I mean, I get winded just doing the practice CPR. Right. And they usually say that you're going to break. Oh, yeah. You're going to break ribs because yeah. there's no way. You're going to be pushing so hard. Yeah, you're going to be hot, sweaty, tired. It's going to be blood on you. Who knows? It's going to be bad. It's not going to be pretty. My carpal tunnel will not be happy with me if I ever have to do that. I think you're okay. It's all on the wrist. Yeah, carpal tunnel is all on the wrist. Well, no, I mean, you're, you're just pushing. You're not. Oh, it makes my flexing, hands hurt. Flexing your it. hands. I hope I never have to do that. Hopefully ever. not. Photographs of the scene and Vicky's body were taken and notes were recorded, including that the master bedroom carpet looked as if it had been freshly cleaned with a carpet cleaner. It still had the lines and everything. Perfect lines going back and forth. Okay. That's odd. The bed was examined for the shell casing, making sure not to touch Vicky's body or the surrounding items. They just wanted to find that casing. They believed that the casing would have kicked out to the right side of Vicky's body, and they could not find that casing on the bed or on the floor, just in looking with their eyes. Okay. They're thinking they're going to be able to see so it. So a quick visual scan, they didn't see it. And they looked behind the drapes, under a chair, and they even crawled under the large bed, but there was no bullet casing. Huh. It's there. It has to be. It has to be there. Uh-huh. But they weren't able to find it. The medical examiner arrived on the scene and began his inspection of Vicky's lifeless body. And he found the bullet under Vicky's arm inside her pajama sleeve. The bullet had entered the center of her chest and exited out her side. The bullet had not penetrated the mattress. Oh, okay. It kind of stopped at the mattress. Yeah. And then swung out towards her side or into her pajama top. So it was a fatal shot, meaning it hit vital organs and she died almost immediately? Instantly. Instantly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Vicky's hands were placed in paper bags. Then she was moved on to the gurney. And as she was being moved on to the gurney, blood began gushing from the wound. Vicky was zipped into a body bag and wheeled toward the waiting ambulance that would take her to the medical examiner's office. But Bobby asked if he could see his wife for one last time. The heavy plastic bag was unzipped to reveal Vicky's sweet face. Bobby gazed down at her and whispered, take care, and turned around, walking back into the house. That's an odd thing to say. It's very to a, odd. <laughs> to your deceased wife? Yeah, they said he just looked at her and said, take well, care. Take care then. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so that's all he said to the woman to whom just the day before Bobby had celebrated 16 years of marriage with. They were married for 16 years. Wow. And that's what he said to Take her. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Once Vicky's body was on its way to the medical examiner's office, crime scene investigators took over. So they started with the bed, right? You're going to start with the logical place of where this happened. Sure. Carefully removing every item from its original spot, photographing it, and then moving it to the foot of the bed. 
A smeared bloody fingerprint was found under the oil can. Oh. How would a smeared bloody fingerprint be under the oil can if Vicky was dead immediately? And laying in a bed. And laying in a bed. It wouldn't. Mm. The newspaper was moved and blood was found underneath that newspaper. The blanket was smoothed out and found under the newspaper was the spent casing. How did it get under there? How did it get under the newspaper? It crawled. (laughs) So they had found it. They found the casing. So in other words, something moved after all that happened is the bottom line. Or that newspaper and everything on top of it was placed there after she had died. That's what I mean. I mean, the scene had been rearranged after she was shot. That's what they're thinking. Yeah. The bedding was carefully removed and placed into garbage bags for later examination. The gun was cleared. The magazine was fully loaded, minus the round that entered Vicky's body. Hmm. But Bobby had said that it was unloaded when he was getting ready to clean it. And why would you have a magazine full of bullets if you're cleaning a gun? Why would you do that? And what I was reading in other research is that you clean a gun after you've used it, after you've gone to a shooting range. Yeah. Then you clean a gun. You don't clean a gun before you go to a shooting range. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could just clean it anytime if you want. But But they say that it gets all gunky with gunshot residue. Yeah, if you cleaned it after the last time you used it, then I suppose you could wait and then shoot again and then clean it. I don't know. Yeah, they said most people clean a gun after they've shot it at a shooting range. Yeah, I would say that's typical. Not before you leave. Right. The next morning. Now, the rest of the house was walkthrough. And there was a bucket of pinkish water near the front door. But Bobby had told an officer that it was the water he had used to clean the floor earlier that day. Now, what looks kind of pinkish in water? Who cleans a floor and then has a bucket of water? But it was pinkish. Yeah, pinkish. There's no such, you don't Which means there might have been blood in there. Sure. Everything else in that house was tidy and seemed in place. So there was nothing more for them to do. So the house was quiet by 3.15 a.m. Everybody was gone. Huh. Soon, the investigators were regretting how lax they were on protocol when they were searching that house because they limited their detailed investigation to just the bedroom, admitting that it was because they were dealing with one of their own, a brother in their tight-knit law enforcement family. Right. Now, nobody believed that a decorated detective could have killed his wife. Bobby was respected and trusted within the Denton Police Department. They're disregarding what normally would be common sense practice for them, but they cast that aside because it's one of their own. So they almost fill in the blanks with a different story. And reading the interviews within the book, they kept saying, oh, this is Bobby's house. It's Detective Bobby Lozano's house. Yeah. So they were just kind of doing what they needed to do. And they didn't want to step on his toes and make him feel like they thought that it was possibly him that had done this. Right. So a lot of mistakes were made in the handling of that crime scene. And that house was never made a crime scene. Bobby and family 
were still in that house when everybody left at 3.15. That's weird. They don't do that anymore. No, I would think not. (laughs) No. (laughs) I think a lot of people learned their lesson, especially with this case. Now, Bobby's car was never searched. No one checked on the time it took for Bobby to drive to and from that tanning salon. They never checked the dumpsters along the way to and from. Bobby's hands were never tested for gunshot residue, nor was he asked to make a statement that night. In fact, he didn't even make an official statement till two days later. And like I said, they allowed the family to remain in the home and the house was never labeled a crime scene. So none of that was suspicious to them. No, because it it, it was Detective Bobby. None of it raised red flags. Not at that time. But it only took days for them to regret but, what had happened. Yeah. But just the fact that he said, oh, yeah, I'm performing CPR. And then they get there and clearly he hasn't. Right. And it was really the paramedic who brought a lot of issues up in that short amount of time. Yeah. Because he was saying he should be covered in blood. Yeah. And he should have. he knew to pull her down onto the ground to give her CPR. Yeah. So there were a lot of really interesting things that happened. Yep. So no one truly knows everything that was missed that night. And I keep thinking of the bucket of pinkish water. That might have just been a mistake by Bobby, and he forgot to dump the water out before he called 911. And that, that could have been blood. Right. That could have been her blood in that water. They could have tested it. And known right away. Not necessarily that it was hers, but that it was blood. Yeah. And then you put two and two together and hello. Yeah. Robert Lozano and Virginia Farish were married on July 5th, 1986 at St. Andrew Presbyterian Church. Now, Vicky, her name was Virginia, but she went by Vicky, which is interesting to me because I've never heard of Vicky being a nickname for Virginia. You hear Ginny is a nickname for Virginia. Yeah, I guess that's not typical. Yeah, I don't know why that stood out to me. It just did. The couple had been dating since being reintroduced while both were attending the University of North Texas. Bobby and Vicky had actually gone to the same high school, but never really knew each other, allegedly. And Bobby was one year above Vicky. According to people who knew Bobby and Vicky when they were younger, They talked about how Bobby was a handsome, charming, and stylish young man. Very put together. Not a hair out of place. Huh. With a tan. With a tan. Which was funny because his friends would say that he's Hispanic. And so why did he need to go tanning if he was Hispanic? And he would say because he wanted an even tan. Oh. He wanted his coloring to be even. That's why he tanned on a regular basis. So he was obsessed with how he looked. A hundred percent. And kind of everything has to be perfection. Everything was perfection in Bobby's life. Yep. I'm going to read something that his friend said about him in this book. And it's going to sum him up perfectly. Bobby's appeal to women didn't show up much in photographs, but in person. His utter perfection in clothing and style attracted women he wanted to impress. He was muscular with dark hair and brown eyes that could dance flirtatiously or grow soulful. His ears stuck out a bit and his eyebrows were a little bushy. Then he learned about waxing and his eyebrows arched beautifully, giving him a much more polished look. 
It was his manner, however, that kept him in women. It was courtly, a bit old world. Girlfriends said he made them feel like they were the only women in the world. He seemed to be at his best in the bedroom. His words were honeyed, his passionate promises seeming sincere. His handwritten notes were flowery, silly to the average, uninvolved reader. His women loved them. Goodness. He's impressive. He would they sweep, say so. He would sweep you off your feet. Not me. <laughs> not me at all. I would laugh. Well, but I'm glad he's not hard of hearing. So that's that's a plus. What do you mean? Well, his ears stuck way out. Oh, so yes. No, he can hear really yes. well. So that's important. And that was a beautiful paragraph written by the author. That was. It's very descriptive. Donna Fielder. Yes, and he Donna. Shaped, you did a so, great job. So we got a very attention to detail, perfection, shaped eyebrows dude. Can you picture it? A little bit. Okay. Now Vicky, according to her childhood friends, was a little bit on the chubbier side. She had buck teeth, wore glasses, and suffered from extremely low self-esteem. Oh. Bobby did really like Vicky when they started dating, but he knew he could turn her into his perfect woman. He pushed Vicky to go to the gym, and she slimmed down. She began wearing contacts instead of glasses, and braces and headgear in middle school and high school gave Vicky a beautiful smile. Oh, so she didn't have buck teeth when he met her? No, she oh, had okay. gotten I mean, braces when, they were when she was yeah when gotcha, she was younger. Okay. But he was able to shape her and form her into this woman that he thought would look good next to him. Gotcha. So she was blonde and blue eyes, and she was always very beautiful, but he liked her slim. That was huge for him. Yeah. Vicky felt so lucky to be loved by such a handsome and fit man. And when he proposed, she immediately said yes. The couple was absolutely picture perfect on their wedding day. Now on their wedding day, like most guests do, they start asking about children. When do you think they'll start trying? When do you think this is going to happen? Bobby would flat out say children were not in their future. The couple would not be having kids ever. Oh, he's a little selfish, huh? And the reason? He did not want Vicky getting fat. He wanted Vicky to remain thin and beautiful. Someone to compliment him. Okay, so what, what happens when they turn 80? I don't think he thought that far in the future. Well, I mean, does he think he's going to look the way he looks for the next 50 years? Probably not. He was very in love with himself. Clearly. Mm. So he would get up, look at the mirror, and just gaze at himself. Yeah. He was and his then, biggest fan. And then put himself together. Took hours. Man, kind of a girl. <laughs> in that respect. In that respect. But... Vicky did want children, but she agreed to not have children and to remain thin for Bobby. So she didn't think she could get anyone else. So even though she wanted kids, she gave the it. thought of leaving him or not marrying him was too risky. At that point. So she, yeah, at that point. Yeah. Okay. He even made her walk around with a picture of herself where she was at her heaviest. 
And he would make her take it out of her wallet and look at it occasionally if he thought she was gaining weight. This guy was a piece um, of work. Wow. Is yeah. he her like fitness coach or her husband? Well, both. I guess both. The same year the couple wed, Bobby graduated from the police academy and joined the Denton Police Department. The next year, Vicki graduated from the University of North Texas School of Education. And within a few years, Vicki had settled on teaching fifth grade. At one point, Bobby and Vicki had sold their first home along with Vicki's parents selling their home. And they took all the profits from both of the sales and they built a very large home in a prestigious area of Denton. But by the time this house was finished, Vicky's father had died from cancer. So it was just Vicky's mom, Anna, who lived with them in this big estate. Giant house, mm-hmm. yeah. Bobby took over the design of the house and made the home exactly the way that he had dreamed. It was over 5,000 square feet. You need that. Columns by the front door. Oh, sure. A large great room, huge kitchen with a breakfast area and large pantry, a billiards room, a sunken bar and theater room, plus the entire north wing belonged to Bobby and Vicky. The Lozano suite was enormous and luxurious. A spa tub, Sauna, walk-in shower, wardrobe room, a cedar closet, an office, a sitting area, a small kitchenette, a second laundry room, and a workout room. Just in their part of the house. So I guess he was doing pretty good as a police officer, huh? Well, he was a police officer. She was a teacher. And then her parents did very well. I believe her dad worked at a university. Oh, okay. And then retired. And so they were helping out as well. Gotcha. So it was four. And her mom was a piano teacher and a music instructor. So it was four incomes. Okay. Coming together. Okay. I mean, but her dad. So they were kind of pooling their money and building one house, one roof for the four of them. Yeah. For the four of them. Okay. Well, I mean, why not then? Might as well, right? I could never do that, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I guess they could. Well, I mean, if you have a 5,000 square foot house, that's a lot easier than a 1,200 square foot house with, you know. That's true, which some adults. people do. Yeah, absolutely. Some people do. The house went on the tax rolls in 1997. Vicki and Bobby had been married about 11 years when this all went down. I wonder what they paid to have it built. I don't know. I did try to find that. Anna, Vicky's mother, had her own suite. It was not as extravagant, but it was nice. And Bobby had even had a side entrance installed for Anna's piano students. So they could come in a side entrance. Oh, that was good. What was missing from the large home were any sort of guest rooms or rooms built with children in mind. So they didn't want guests. They just wanted amenities. (laughs) So what are they going to do with this big-ass house? Just sit in it? Just sit in it. Not have Show anyone it over. off. But you're not going to have anyone over. I'm sure they had parties and stuff. Oh, okay. But. Well, I mean, he's got to play pool with somebody but in that he billiards liked, room. Well, he liked to show off. He liked to wear Armani suits to work. What? He had this huge house. He drove BMWs. He just really wanted people to think he was doing really well. 
how much did a how much did a police officer in late nineties make in Texas? Not anything gotta be, that would pay for that. It's got to be a lot less than the equivalent in California at the time. So I'm sure they were pulling all their money together, right? So I guess he had plenty of extra money because things he would normally have to pay for, he didn't have to pay for. Yes, and he was spoiled by Vicky's mom, Anna. Ah, yes, okay. she very much adores and adored her son-in-law. All right. The sun rose and set in his eyes. Wow. But like I said before, Vicky wanted kids. And anytime she would really start to pressure Bobby into having a baby, he would bring home a dog. So on the day of Vicky's death, there were five dogs roaming that home. I was going to say, how many times did that happen? Yeah, sleeping in their bed. Five times. Yeah, five dogs sleeping in their bed. Nope. I also wanted to talk about all the red flags in that marriage that we see popping up right now. Oh, God. Yeah, the the whole thing is a red flag. Right. All of it. And that she wanted children, but she was willing to marry Bobby, who said he never wanted children and never wanted her to gain weight and all this stuff. And then she's thinking that eventually she's going to talk him into it. I think women kind of back themselves into a corner sometimes with that because they think they're going to change. Right. They're not going to change. No. And why would you want to have children with somebody who's saying they don't want kids? I don't get it. I don't get it either. If you're lucky, they'll stay the same, but they sure as hell aren't going to change. I do have acquaintances who have had kids with men who have said they didn't want to have kids and they'll tell them, well, I'm not going to do anything. You want a baby? This is your baby. I'm not going to help you. And, that, and to me, that is just And that's awful. the best person that you could think would be to raise a child into an adult. Right. Is, and they, is to do that with someone who goes, well, if you get pregnant, I'm not helping. Yeah. And they always say, well, I thought they were going to change. I thought they would fall in love with the baby and then he would help out or she would help out. It's like things don't change like that. Yeah. And then Vicky would promise him to work out while she was pregnant and that she would bounce back. She promised and she would eat healthy and and Bobby just kept saying no, no, and he'd bring home another dog. And she stayed with him. Hmm. Yeah. I guess she was really attracted to him. That personality, that winning personality of his. Sounds like it. Just put her over the top. But then somehow after 15 years of marriage, Baby. she was pregnant. She was pregnant. And there was... A baby, Oops. a baby boy. They had a son in 2001. Okay, so they obviously didn't try not to have a baby at some point. But I could not find anybody who said anything about how Vicky was able to turn him around or get him to agree to have a baby. I couldn't find any information on that. So I don't know what she said to convince him, but somehow something happened. Maybe she stopped taking birth control. And like did it on the sly? Yeah. And said, oops. No, I think he would have been pissed. Well, I don't... yeah, but maybe she didn't care. Yeah, but I think he would have told people. Like she got pregnant on the sly. She stopped taking the pill. I can't believe she did this. He was yeah. a big mouth. He was a show off. I feel like everyone would have known if Vicky would have done that. Well, obviously, they weren't trying not to. It's some, somehow, some way, they weren't 
keeping somehow, it from some way, she convinced him to have a baby. Yeah. After 15 years of marriage is what I think. But I don't know what she said. I don't know what she promised, but it happened. Vicky became a full-time mom after the baby was born and devoted herself to their new son, the baby that she had always wanted. By this time, Bobby had now moved up the ranks in the department to Detective Bobby Lozano. Now, Vicky was devoted to Bobby, even if she had to deal with certain times where Bobby wouldn't touch her or he would tell her that she was fat during the pregnancy and after. But handsome Bobby wasn't as devoted to Vicky as she was to him. Actually, Bobby wasn't devoted to anyone else but himself and his penis. Oh, yeah, sure. He was he and, he and his buddy. He was dipping that thing in anything and anybody he could. Oh, are we surprised? I, I guess not. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess he's a little insecure. Well, Bobby was a big fat cheater, and yeah. it was well known throughout the department. And many believe that Vicky did know about the numerous affairs, but chose to look the other way. Hmm. And that's why I'm saying that he never hid his affairs. So I don't think if Vicky got pregnant on the side or on the sly, he would have kept that private. But why would he want to make a baby if he wasn't really that into her? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if he's kind of a playboy, then I could see where he's like, I don't want a baby. I want I want to do whatever the hell I want to do. Right. And then, yeah. She's his official wife, but he doesn't want to be tied down to anything. Certainly not a child. Well, especially because Vicky wasn't the only female that he'd ever gotten pregnant. Oh. But she's the only one that had his baby. Oh, gotcha. Wowzers. I know. It's going to get complicated. Now, could Bobby's infidelity have caused the death of Vicky? Was she standing in the way of someone else having a relationship with Bobby? Or was her death not so complicated? Had Vicky accidentally shot herself while cleaning the pistol? Or did she do this to herself on purpose? After years of turning the other cheek, had Vicky decided that she couldn't live like that anymore and then decided to end her life? These were the questions that people were asking. Yeah, I think that would be odd for a mother with an 11-month-old to do that. Especially because she had waited so long mm -hmm. to have the baby. I don't think she ever would have left him. No. Plus, that's not typical for a female. Not to use a gun. Yeah. It's and not, not it's in not, the chest. It's not sexist. It's just a reality that statistically that's, that's more of a dude thing. Right. To blow a hole in themselves. For some reason, we like that. I don't know why, but... Maybe because it's kind of like manly, like, hey, good, and you're just blown apart. So for us, maybe that seems better, but I don't know. Yeah. But women don't usually do that. No, it's usually pills. Yeah, and you're right. Why would she, why would she shoot herself in the chest? You could survive a shot to the chest. I mean, if it's it possible. missed everything. Yeah, it's possible. So in other words, you're going to suffer. Oh, gosh. So why would you shoot yourself in the chest? Yeah. To me, that doesn't make sense at all, but. Hey, none of these things ever do. They never do. Well, two days later on Monday, Bobby drove to an office on Loop 288 to give his official statement. Bobby asked if he could type his own statement from one of the computers. 
Investigators left the room and gave Bobby some privacy as he typed his statement up for hours. The statement was printed and signed by Bobby. Then they had one question for him. Bobby was asked how Vicky was positioned when he had first walked in that room. Oh. He leaned over in his chair as far as he could go, bending in half at the waist. He bent to the left of his knees, saying she was sitting up like this, slumped over forward. She was sitting up, not laying down, but had already been shot. She had already been shot in the chest, but was slumped over like she had been sitting up in bed. Oh. But when the paramedics found her, she was laying flat. Yeah, but then how are you going to perform CPR on someone who's sitting up? Right. And how are you going to see that she was shot in the chest? Of course, he's going to kind of like push her back. Sure. So that's. But then there was no blood on him. True. But he could have just pushed her down without touching blood. Possibly. To investigators, not only was that telling impossible, his written statement was completely ridiculous. Like nothing any of the veteran investigators had ever seen before. So I have to read his statement to you. Of course you do. It's insanely long. So there are some points where I'm going to summarize it for you, but it's crazy. So buckle up, you guys. This is nuts. All right, let's hear it. On the evening of July 5th, 2002, my wife and I had gone out to celebrate our 16th wedding anniversary. I had made dinner reservations for the restaurant named Il Sol near Highland Park in Dallas. The reservations were for 9 p.m. We arrived on time and we were seated for dinner. I recall that we decided to eat from the three-course meal, Chef's Special. This particular dinner is accompanied by a special wine for each of the three phases of dinner, the appetizer, main course, and dessert. I recall that my wife and I spent the entire dinner reminiscing about how fortunate we were to have born a child so beautiful as our son. We spoke of his growth from birth to present day. We also spoke of his future and how excited we were that she would have the opportunity to be with him at home over the course of the next year. The couple then returned home after dinner at 11.30 p.m. and were surprised to see that the baby was still awake with Grandma Anna. Once he saw us, he giggled ever so mischievously as if to make sure that we knew that He knew we had left the house after he went to sleep earlier that night. In a confusing tangent, Bobby then went into details about the night they were to celebrate Vicky's birthday in April. They were leaving the home when the baby began crying. They both looked at each other and knew that they could not possibly have a good time knowing that their son was at home sad. So they decided to stay home and spend her birthday playing with the baby and eating leftovers. He then resumed talking about the anniversary night, how they had stayed up later to play with the baby, and they had all gotten up early the next morning and went to the park. Bobby then wrote about their son being sick the previous week and that they had taken him to the pediatrician, even writing that they had to do a stool sample on the baby. And this is his statement to the police. Yeah. 
One particular memory which remains close to my heart was having watched Vicky swing the baby while he wrapped his arms around her neck. He was face down on her chest as she quietly sang a lullaby to him. I remember thinking how peaceful and secure he felt within his mother's embrace as he drifted off to sleep while they swung. I made a comment about how beautiful the moment appeared and the look on her face, which defined utter happiness and appreciation for our son's life. After arriving home, the three of them took a bath together. The son went down for a nap and the couple did some housework. Vicky did the laundry and Bobby steam cleaned the bedroom carpet. After the baby woke up, they all went to Target. As they stood in line, Bobby noticed that Vicky had put two more toys in the cart for the baby. When she noticed Bobby staring, they both started laughing out loud. They returned home around 4.30 p.m. and had dinner in the kitchen. Their son took another bath and played till around 7 p.m. Then he was put down for the night. Bobby then wrote about the pediatrician calling to check on the 11-month-old. Bobby thanked the doctor for his concern. Bobby began playing a computer puzzle game. Vicky was on the bed watching television. She was now not feeling well, writing that she had been suffering from anemia for about a week and was listless and tired. Bobby then decided to clean his gun. They had made plans to visit the gun range the next morning. He had been to the gun range the week before and had ammunition left over, so he wanted to shoot again. Vicky decided it was fine to take the baby along. If he was affected by the loud noises, they would simply return home. Bobby wrote that he unfolded a section of the newspaper and laid it on his side of the bed, placed his gun cleaning box on the newspaper, and took his Glock from the shoulder holster. Bobby removed the fully loaded magazine from the pistol and ejected the round from the chamber and left it with the slide locked open. But then he decided he should stop the cleaning process and go to the tanning salon. Sounds reasonable. So you go from cleaning a gun to going to get a tan. That's what he's saying. Uh-huh. Okay. Seems reasonable. Yeah. If she didn't mind that after I cleaned the gun, if I could go to tan... She offered to clean my gun while I went to tan so that we would have a little more time together when I returned. I told her not to worry about it since it would take only a few moments to clean the gun. As I started to take the rags from the cleaning box, I changed my mind and decided to go and tan first and then return to clean the gun. I didn't want to leave the residue of the cleaning fluids on my hands when I went to tan. Vicky again offered to do it for me, and I told her to relax. I bent over, and I kissed her forehead, and said that I would be right back. Bobby tanned for 20 minutes and then had a conversation with the desk clerk about what he had done over the 4th of July weekend. Then he arrived home about 9 p.m. I noticed that Vicky was lying somewhat awkwardly on the bed. She was face down and slightly to the left of her left hip. I asked her if she was feeling ill, and I received no response. As I continued to walk around to her side of the bed, I again asked her if she was okay. I then noticed the newspaper and the cleaning box had been moved from where I left it. 
I think I may have again asked if she was okay, but this time it was much more frantically. I raised her up as if it were in slow motion. Her listless body fell backward onto the pillow nearest the metal headboard. I saw her tongue hanging out of her mouth, and the color of her face was extremely pale. I looked down where she had laid and noticed a lot of blood on the sheets. I grabbed her by the shoulder, and I screamed for her to respond. She remained completely lifeless as I repeatedly shook her to have her regain consciousness. When I saw the hole in the middle chest portion of her nightgown, I knew that she had been shot. I then thought only to run to the bedroom telephone to call 911. I don't remember which dispatcher answered, but I know that I might have been completely unintelligible as I screamed for an ambulance. At this point, he suddenly thought of the sun because his mother-in-law was out for the evening, so the son was by himself. Bobby ran across the house to the baby's bedroom and picked him up, waking him from a sound sleep. I ran back to the telephone in the bedroom, and I again spoke with the dispatcher. She asked that I begin CPR until the paramedics arrived. I think that I placed the baby down on the floor near the telephone as I ran back to Vicky's side of the bed. Although I did not straddle her body, I did begin CPR procedures from her side of the bed. I know that I was failing to do it properly because I was overcome with emotion. Okay, Mm. but he had no blood on him. Right. I begged her not to die and not to leave us alone. Moments later, I think I ran back to the phone to tell the dispatcher that she was either not breathing or that she was unconscious, perhaps neither or both. Bobby picked up the baby and ran to the front door. He wrote that he had turned on several outside lights. Bobby really couldn't remember what happened after that. I vividly recall one of the ambulance personnel to have lifted my wife's top to verify where the gunshot was located. He looked down toward her right leg and foot, which hung over the side of the bed onto the floor. I'm not sure what he saw or what he was thinking, but he seemed quite taken aback. In ultimate desperation, I asked him or them why they weren't working to revive her. He solemnly looked at me and said that there was nothing that he could do for her. I was in utter disbelief. I believe that I walked out of the bedroom and into the foyer and fell onto one knee. As I continued to cry more and more, the baby became more and more upset to the point that he too began crying intensely. I recall one of the paramedics asking if he could take him from me for a moment. I was not going to allow him to be taken from my arms as I clutched him closely to my chest. From here, it seemed an eternity as uniformed police officers began to arrive. When Vicky was being taken away, he asked to see his wife one last time. They agreed as long as he didn't touch her. When her face was revealed, I promised to always raise the baby how she would have wanted me to do it. I prayed that her father, who had long since passed away, had greeted her at heaven's gate. Although her death was violent, I knew she had no more pain for an eternity. I was grateful for this shared moment with her as I thanked the medical examiner personnel. I spent the remainder of the morning in the company of my family attempting to understand almost demanding to know why. This question still haunts me and my family for what I believe to be the rest of our lives. Bobby believed that his wife's death was an accident. Vicky was not suicidal. There was no reason for Vicky to take her life. 
He did write that she did suffer from depression after her father died from cancer, and that right after their son was born, Vicky was bedridden for two months, and he had to take time off of work to care for the infant, and that even though she remained positive about the situation, she was still depressed about it. By the way, this part of his statement was contradicted by Vicky's OBGYN, who said that Vicky tore a little after the birth, but that she was fine and she was never bedridden. So he's just making stuff up. Yeah, he's just making crap up in a statement. Yeah. Vicky herself was ill for much of the last several years of our marriage. She suffered from a condition which involved long moments of fatigue, listless, and an arthritic condition. She was also medically deemed a free bleeder. What the hell is a free bleeder? Means you have a really heavy cycle. Have you ever heard of that term before? I've never heard of that before. When she had her monthly menstruation cycle, she would bleed unlike any woman I've ever known. This was our major concern after we decided to have our child. We knew that the possibility existed that she would not survive childbirth. Incredibly, the baby's birth went extremely well. However, the doctor discovered that she was torn from the inside as he passed through her vaginal canal. Her vaginal canal suffered a four to six inch tear, which required stitching. The doctor had mentioned that in all of her years of practice, she had not seen another likened condition. On the follow-up visit soon after our son's birth, the gynecologist discovered that the stitches had torn and were no longer holding the vaginal wall intact. She did not order a second surgery, fearing that Vicky was too weak to survive it. Bobby ended his weird statement by reinforcing Vicky's love for the baby and how she had hoped to remain a stay-at-home mom. And Bobby ended his statement with, Our son was a priority to her, and she always made it known that he was her pride and joy. Okay, the baby. The baby. So to me, it sounds like he's saying, Oh no, this was an accident. This had to have been an accident. Vicky would never have taken her life. But then he's giving all these possible reasons as to why maybe she had taken her life or maybe she was depressed again. Right. Like subtle, subtle hints. Subtle hints. Mm -hmm. Trying to steer the investigation into where he wanted it to go is what it sounds like. Steering the boat through the pond or the water river. As Bobby left the office, the investigators all looked at one another and said, What the hell was that? Yeah, that's what I would think. This was the most bizarre statement they had ever read. Plus, too many of the statements written clashed with the physical evidence they had seen at the crime scene. Earlier, he had told them that Vicky had been sitting in the bed leaning over her left knee. Now his statement had her lying on her stomach. He had pulled her up and she had fallen back. And why was there no blood on him? That's what everybody kept saying. He should have been frantically like in a blind panic trying to revive her CPR or something. He would have stuff all over him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bobby said that he had performed CPR on Vicky and a cop is trained to continue CPR once it has started until paramedics arrive and take over or somebody else takes over. Right. Plus, he didn't pull her off the bed and onto a hard surface. And there was no blood on him anywhere. 
he was clean from so head he to toe. He didn't attempt anything. No. Is the reality. Not only was Bobby's statement pure crap, the investigators had also found out about Bobby's affairs, especially a more recent one with a fellow female detective. Oh, boy. Please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome from stage right, Cindy Waters. I knew it was going to be Cindy. No, I didn't. <laughs> nope. I don't know who Cindy is. The woman that Bobby referred to as Sin. S-I-N. Ooh. Ooh. When he's with Sin, then he can... I don't know. I was going to say something, but it didn't come out right. He likes to sin with Cindy. Cindy's <laughs> the sinner. Sure. Sure. Bobby and Cindy became friendly with one another after Cindy had moved into the criminal investigation division of the Denton Police Department in the child abuse unit. The co-workers began talking around the squad room, Cindy filling all Bobby's boxes. She was blonde, blue-eyed, pretty, and willing to work out with Bobby in order to shape her body into what he deemed acceptable. The new couple began working out with one another regularly. Bobby had Cindy tell him what she ate every day. Bobby preferred to eat lunch with Cindy every day so he could monitor her healthy food intake. Bobby's ideal size for Cindy was a four. Cindy liked her body at a 10. So guess what? She was eventually a four. Why did he pick another girl that needed work? I In his mind, I'm not saying she needs work, but... Right. I think he just liked the control, and he liked to mold them into what he wanted. Gotcha. And these, and this woman likes that. She wanted that okay. at the time. Huh? And she mm. lost, they said, between 40 and 50 pounds in a very short amount of time. Okay. Maybe I should date Bobby. Cindy's friends became concerned. She was wasting away. Plus, they knew Bobby was a player and never without a girlfriend. They warned her to stay away from Bobby constantly, but she went for it. She wanted it. And is this... I missed something. What? Is this before or after... This is before. So this was a couple years before. So while he's still married. While he's married to Vicky before the baby. So why would they even, who cares about any of the rest of it? He's cheating on his wife. Yeah, he's a big cheater. He's cheated multiple times on Vicky. And so she knows he's married. Cindy. She does. And she's okay with that. And she's okay with him dictating her Exercise, eating schedule, the whole nine? She was. Okay, I don't get it. At the time. Right. At the time. Mm -hmm. All right. But he's a smooth talker. So what? So he was also telling her and whoever he had dated before that the marriage was over and okay, all those type of things. We'll get into it. Yeah. Well, Cindy was recently divorced with two small sons. Bobby had opened up to Cindy, letting her know that he was married but that it had been over for years. They were friends in the marriage, but he and Vicky were not lovers. Soon he would leave her and it would be an amicable divorce. Bobby was a smooth talker, like I said, and treated Cindy like she was the only woman he had ever loved. So Cindy fell in love. After Cindy's divorce, Bobby was always at her house telling Vicky and his mother-in-law, Anna, that he was working overtime with the tactical team. Sure. So that's how he got away with it. 
Bobby soon put in for a transfer from general investigation into the family services unit where Cindy worked. Mm -hmm. So they were together constantly. Bobby had Cindy cut her long hair shorter and lighten it a bit. So guess who she looked like? Vicky. Vicky. That's bizarre. It's very, it's very weird. Just like all his other serious girlfriends, he had them all cut their hair and color it blonde, the same color as Cindy. I mean, the same color as Vicky. It's not like he's a, you know, blonde. He doesn't look like Ken. No. So what gives him the right to demand all these looks when he's just brown hair, brown eyed, Hispanic dude? You can demand it all you want, but it takes a special woman, I guess, to fall in line and do it. Okay. All right. The couple went house shopping and Bobby even purchased Cindy many expensive pieces of jewelry, promising an engagement ring soon. One day, Bobby dropped a bomb. Vicky was expecting. Their plans would have to be put on hold. He couldn't leave his wife while she was pregnant. It would have to be after the baby was born, a year at least. Plus, according to Bobby, Vicky's life was now in danger. She had a bleeding problem, and the doctor feared Vicky could possibly die during childbirth, which none of that is true. I've already told you that. So this this new woman knows that his wife, obviously is married, and they're expecting... And he's still telling her, well, yeah, but once the baby's born, I'll just divorce her. And that's still attractive to her. That kind of person is still good for her in her mind. And she's like, how complicated do you want your life to be? Yeah, how much drama do you really want in your life? How the hell do you expect that to turn out well? It never does. It it cannot turn out well. There's no way. I'm just absolutely flabbergasted. That's a good word. As to how a woman like that would even find him remotely attractive due to all this drama. And what a giant steaming pile of crap he is. Yeah, this is going to How is that attractive to women? Off. I really don't get it. I never have understood that. Especially the married and promising to leave their wife and give me a year. And I just, I don't get that. Why would you want someone like that? You wouldn't want that person as a friend. You sure as hell wouldn't want him as a, a significant other. Not me. And and how are you promising a ring when you're married <laughs> and a baby on the way? Oh, there's going to be an engagement ring coming soon. <sighs> yeah. Right. Well, Cindy right, said she understood and promised to wait. Of course she did. By 2002, the baby was almost a year old and Bobby had promised Cindy again that by his first birthday, he and Vicky would no longer be together. So he and Vicky would split by the baby's first birthday. Even telling Cindy that in April, Vicky had visited a divorce attorney in Dallas. The divorce would be amicable, and he would be leaving with just his clothes. June 30th was the move-out date for Bobby. Which was another lie. All this is all this is a complete lie. It's just a lie. He just keeps lying. And she's like, "Oh, good. Okay. Oh, my wife. My my life is finally coming together. I'll finally get a wonderful guy who consists of someone who couldn't give two craps about a newborn, or his wife, or anything else." 
Yes. And to her, her life is now going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what my mom always said growing up? If he <sighs> cheats with you, he'll cheat on you. Of course. So thinking that you're the one that is going to change him, even though she knew about all these other girlfriends that he had had in the past. All right. Well, the first weekend of June, Bobby and Cindy were supposed to have dinner with his parents and tell them the news and then tell Vicky's mom, Anna, about the separation the next day. He and Vicky were going to do that. Okay. Bobby called Cindy and told her that all of a sudden, family from Mexico would be visiting, and he didn't want to tell his parents with extended family around. But he did tell Cindy that he and Vicky had given Anna the news about the divorce. And according to Bobby, Anna was not surprised and had seen it coming. Cindy had a really funny feeling, so she checked the account records for the divorce filing in the county, and she didn't find one. Of course not. And when confronted, Bobby said that Anna, who's his mother-in-law, had been embarrassed about the upcoming divorce of her daughter and Bobby, so she had paid an extra $10,000 to have it sealed. Wow. This guy just has uh, answers for everything, huh? He does. Bobby then told Cindy that he had rented an apartment but could not move in till the 30th. So we have June 30th is still this big date in her head. The next weekend was Father's Day. Bobby had bought he and Cindy tickets to a water park since Vicky, the baby, and her mom would be out of town and Cindy's boys would be with their dad. The couple would have a weekend alone. You know, going down water slides. Two days before they were to go... Bobby called with bad news. His father's brother in Mexico had been involved in a vehicle accident and was badly injured. Bobby's father was too upset to travel alone, and Bobby had offered to travel to Mexico with him. So what could Cindy say? Like, this was a family emergency. By Saturday, Bobby had not called her, so Cindy smelled a rat. She drove by his parents' house and then his house, and all were quiet. No one was there. Cindy still had a funny feeling, so she called the airline. There was no record of Bobby or his dad on any flight list, and there was no record of a Lozano flying home on Monday. So on Monday, she drove by Bobby's parents' house again and saw his father outside mowing the lawn. (laughs) So Bobby had totally lied to her. No. Now, now the dad's brother really was in a car accident and really was badly injured. Oh, okay. But his dad was too ill to travel. So nobody traveled. Nobody went to see this brother. Okay. But Bobby used a real event to make up a lie. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Bobby showed up at Cindy's home later that night and she called him out on his lies. He admitted to lying, saying that he had gone out of town with Vicky and her mother. He needed to watch the baby, and he wanted to spend his first Father's Day with his son. Now, why didn't he just say that? I don't know. It's it's all lies. Everything's a lie. Cindy told him she was done and that it was over. Oh, okay. All right, good. Finally. Thank you. Bobby cried and begged for her to forgive him, telling Cindy that if he hadn't moved out by June 30th, Then he would walk away from their relationship. Cindy gave him another chance. No. On June 30th, Bobby called Cindy and told her they needed to meet in person. She had a feeling that he was not moving out. 
Bobby showed Cindy a white plastic container and she had no idea what he was showing her. Bobby explained to Cindy that he had been having headaches recently and he believed that Vicky was now trying to poison him in his drinks. And Cindy is like, Goodness. well, why not go to the ER or, to, right. or file a report? If, she, if she's trying to kill you, then you need to tell somebody. Okay, hold on. <laughs> okay. So he's he's a detective with the police department. Yes. Okay. How is he able to do all this stuff and still do his job, juggle everything, and still pass himself off as the greatest thing since sliced bread for her? I have no idea how these people do it. How do they have more hours in the day than we do? Okay, she has split custody of some sort with two children, Cindy. And then he's married. Everyone knows he's married. Everyone knows he's cheating. She knows. And his baby. All this stuff. And he's working. He's supposed to perform job duties. And he has a wife who stays home. And he has a mother-in-law who lives with them. So he's got all these eyes on him. And yet he's still able to get away with it. And he has to make sure he looks perfect. Right. He spends hours getting ready. All right. I can't. I'm adding that up in my head and I'm not sure how he's pulling this off. I don't know either. Bobby then told Cindy that Vicky had told him that she wanted to hurt him as bad as he had hurt her. They argued and then Bobby slapped Vicky saying he had never physically assaulted her before. Vicky told him that if there was a mark, she would be pressing charges. So Bobby handed Cindy a stack of letters and cards that she had given him over the course of their relationship that he had been keeping in his desk at work. If there was an investigation into the slapping charge, his desk might be searched. Cindy took the stack, the stack of letters and notes, and said to Bobby that he needed to stay with his wife and that she was moving on with her life. Uh-huh. And then she uh-huh. sped away. Good. All right, but, but there's another but. A lot of buts. On the night of he and Vicky's 16th wedding anniversary, Bobby showed up at Cindy's house unannounced, saying he just wanted to kiss her and promising that he was leaving Vicky. Cindy believed him, and then they made love. On the night of his 16th wedding anniversary that he should be at home naked with Vicky. Not with Cindy. I give up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, you can only hope someone uses common sense so much, and clearly she doesn't possess it. So whatever. Good for her. I hope she appreciates it. The very next night, Cindy was told that Vicky had shot herself mm-hmm. and that she was dead. In one of Cindy's written statements to investigators, she also said that a week before Vicky's death, she and Bobby had been at the shooting range. Bobby had insisted that Cindy try out his service pistol. Cindy was afraid that her prints were on the murder weapon, that Bobby was trying to set her up for Vicky's murder. Oh. So Cindy was now in fear of her own life. Right. The day after Vicky's funeral, Bobby's attorney walked into the Denton police station with a letter. Bobby had changed his original statement. He changed his story of what happened the night before Vicky's death, the night of the anniversary. 
So I'm going to read that to you. Oh, good. I stated that after my wife and I had returned home from dinner, she and I played with our son for a while. After we had returned him to bed, I advised that my wife and I retired to our bedroom and soon fell asleep. This was incorrect. After I left, I drove to Cindy Waters' home. I stayed there approximately two hours. Afterward, I returned directly home. I remained there until the following morning when our son awoke. I did not include this detail in the original written statements, unwilling to involve details of an affair which I had been having with Cindy. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Add that to your ridiculous statement with big old words. Sure. Now, there were four other women located who had also had an affair with Bobby during his 16-year marriage with Vicky, and all of these women made statements. One woman was told by Bobby that he had poisoned two dogs to test a method of putting Vicky out of her misery while she was suffering from leukemia. Oh. Of which she only had six months left to live. So this was a while back before the baby. He told one woman that he was married, but that they fought all the time because he wanted a baby and she did not. But he couldn't divorce her because there was a lot of money and he was not going to give it up. One of his mistresses had broken her jaw during a softball game and Bobby refused to see her in that condition. That makes sense. I mean, you can't look bad for Bobby. No, you can't. This woman had also gotten pregnant in the early months of their four-year relationship and he told her to take care of it. That's nice. He'd also said that Vicky was bulimic and suicidal to multiple women. Sure. One of Bobby's girlfriends had a standing date with him every Tuesday night. He told Vicky and Anna that he was doing surveillance work for a covert agency. Ooh. And they assumed he was working undercover for the DEA. Ooh. Even telling one of the women that he had slept with someone the day before his wedding and the day after. So he's been cheating their entire relationship. And still, for some reason, he's attractive to women. Yeah. That's interesting. And all the women resembled Vicky. Blonde hair and slim figures. So the question is, if he wants Vicky, why does he keep trying to end it with Vicky to then start it with someone who looks just like her? But he's not trying to end it with Vicky. He wants his cake and he wants to eat it, too. But why not just have Vicky? Well, we all know why. He liked the chase. Yeah. He liked getting this prize and molding this prize into what he wanted her to look like. And then he would kind of get bored and move on. So that's it. It's He's just obsessed with the fact that he wants to know that he can still do it. I think so. That he's still got it. So why have a wife at home if you're in that mindset? It was about the money. Oh. He couldn't have done all of this with just his salary. Gotcha. He needed Vicky's money. He needed her parents' money. This was what gave him this pretend lifestyle. So on the outside, it looks like he's running an empire, kind of. The Bobby empire. And then he gets to do all this crazy stuff on the side and... And he's got this wife who's just head over heels in love with him and this mother-in-law who, like I said, the son 
rises and sets in his eyes. He obviously doesn't have to work very hard at work. No, I think he was just kind of a half-assed detective. Yeah, clearly he has time to let his mind wander and do other things and plan things. And write letters and Jesus, okay. cards yeah. and, yeah. So do you hate him yet? It's not too hard to hate him. Of course, yeah. I mean, he's the epitome of everything that's wrong with a dude. On July 24th, 2002, investigators met with members of the Tarrant County Medical Examiner's Office in Fort Worth. Vicky's autopsy was completed. The gun was fired three to six inches from Vicky's chest. The exit wound was shored, meaning she had been laying on her left side against a firm surface when she was shot, causing a sort of lip around the wound and allowing the bullet to come to a rest inside her pajama top. The angle of the bullet was about 45 degrees downward. Gunshot residue was found on the sleeves of Vicky's pajamas, but that could have also been in self-defense. She could have put her arms up. Right. Yeah. There was no gun oil found on Vicky's hands or clothing. Given the oily surface of the gun, there was no way she had touched the firearm that had killed her. A piece of popcorn had been found inside Vicky's mouth and popcorn was found in her stomach. Plus, there was popcorn stuck to the underside of her pajamas. But nowhere in that bedroom was there evidence of a popcorn bowl. So who carried the bowl out of the bedroom? And you wouldn't be sitting there eating popcorn and cleaning a gun no. at the same time. No. Because you're not going to want to get gun oil on the popcorn that you're eating. That's disgusting. And you wouldn't be eating popcorn if you were going to kill yourself. Let's just say that they go, oh, maybe she committed suicide. You eat popcorn and go, all right, it's time, pal. No, that wouldn't happen. No way. The pathologist who performed the autopsy told the investigators that there was nothing to rule out a homicide, but he was not ready to release his findings just yet. Three weeks after Vicky's death and under a cloud of suspicion surrounding Bobby, he then resigned from the police department. So Bobby was no longer working for the for Denton police. Okay. When the autopsy report was finally released a couple months later, the pathologist felt that the forensic report alone could not prove that Vicky was murdered. And he really could not tell just by his own findings whether or not Vicky's death was homicide, suicide, or accidental. And he ruled the manner of death as undetermined. But the pathologist told the investigators that the rest of the evidence made him certain that Bobby Lozano had murdered his wife. He just couldn't prove it forensically. On December 12th, 2002... Bobby was indicted for the murder of Vicki Lozano. He surrendered two days later at the county jail. Bobby posted the $20,000 of the $125,000 bail mm-hmm. and went back home to his son and his mother-in-law. Okay. Who believed that he had nothing to do with the murder of her daughter. Yeah. So she put up the twenty grand for him to get out. So the mother-in-law believes that her daughter accidentally or purposely killed herself. She really, truly believes that. But it and had first, no suspicion of Bobby. She first thought that 
Vicky was cleaning the gun and that the dogs all jumped on the bed and caused her to fire that gun and shoot herself. And then she changed her story and believed that her daughter could have possibly been depressed and then taken her own life. It was everything else except for the obvious, which was Bobby did it. Why do people so badly want to believe? Just like you say, they want to believe. Yeah, no, but why? Why Why would she want to believe that her daughter didn't know what she was doing and accidentally was cleaning a loaded gun and accidentally turned it around backwards on herself at a 45 degree angle and shot herself square in the chest, three to six inches from her chest, or was depressed and shot herself after eating popcorn? I don't know. I can't answer these questions. This mother... No, I know. I know you can't. I'm just asking. The mother her. is really irritating to a lot of people, and we're yeah. going to get further into that oh, good. Okay. in part two. Okay. So just, just wait. <laughs> On July 24th, 2004. Now we're in 2004. This is two years later. Right. The district attorney decided to drop the charges against Bobby more than sure. two years after Vicky's death. Why, you might ask? A second medical examiner from Chicago had gone over the original pathologist's findings and had found, by a preponderance of evidence, that the manner of death of Virginia Lozano was more likely suicide than homicide. Uh. Huh? So why a second pathologist? Who was not named on the document, and he was from Chicago no less. There's so many questions left to answer and so much more to this case. So part two is going to get wild. So stay tuned. So now you're going to leave me hanging. I gotta. <laughs> That's such a bad word. <laughs> I gotta. I gotta. No, I have to. There's so much more. I can't leave anything out. That's crazy. So the next time you have a couple hours to sit down with me, I'll tell you part two and then we'll get it out to everybody else. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, stay tuned, guys, and be careful. Because marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. There you go. Bye. Bye. Bye.